So we've been in First uh, John, um, and we're, we're we're moving through. John has has told us that he his goal is to get us to access to to ignite to to live out the eternal life that we will all be living one day um, in heaven, but to live it right now, um, which is hopefully really good news because a lot of us were, were going through life and, and things don't seem like they, they ought to be. And, and we're wondering, is there a way to live that's robust, that's full, that really does um, engage with everything that God has for us? But to begin, John kind of threw out a couple of red flags, a couple of um, types of people that would seek to kind of veer us off the path to get us away. They, they, they say that they have something like this robust eternal life, but what they really have, what they really have are lies. And I've been calling them the bad gurus. Uh, these are people, some of them can be Christians, some of them are not Christians, but they come through, they come to, to us in our lives and say, I've got it figured out. Come follow me and then things will be well. One of the things that I would like us to think about, we're going to finish it up today, this little section about the bad, guru, the bad gurus, is, is a concern that we might have. Um, both with respect to bad gurus, now we've identified them, we know what they look like, we can, we, can, we can spot them from a mile away. But the question is, can they be saved? Or if they're already Christians, can they be brought back? What kind of good news, what kind of gospel might penetrate the hearts of these people who are self-deceived, who are deceptive, um, as we see, as we'll see in today's text, who make God a liar. How can the bad, can the bad gurus be saved? How can we have good news? We, we've noticed and we'll see again today. These are people who don't need good news. They, they've, they've got life figured out. And is there a way to give good news to them? Is there a way that we can share? Uh, this is, I mean, if I'm just being honest with you, uh, evangelism's hard. When I was a young, when I was, when I was a kid, and I was, I was fiery. I had red hair, so it was expected of me. And I was willing to, to jump into the role. And I would just, you know, just, this is, you got to be saved, you know. And as I got older, that became dispiriting. Because I would say it, and people would be like, nah, I'm okay. In fact, I, you're kind of bothering me. Back off. And so uh, as I got older, um, then it, the, the hot thing became relational evangelism. If you've heard this term, this is where you're like, oh, you're like, you're like a secret Christian. You're like, you're like going through life. You look just like everybody else. You're cool. You start hanging out with somebody in your back of your mind. You're like, got to get them saved. But I got to pretend like all I care about is being their friend. <laughs> and so you do. You start to hang out with them. And, and you know, ideally, <laughs> if it's working the way it ought to, you really do love these people and you really do become close and connected to them. And the idea is, is that through this relationship, sooner or later, that person's going to be like, gosh, you sure seem to have things figured out. What's your secret? And you're like, Jesus, <laughs> finally. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, relational evangelism. The crazy thing about relational evan- evangelism is that they almost never ask you anything. I mean, it does happen from time to time, but for the most part, they're just like, you're a lot of fun. I like you. And you're like, and then nothing. And so I'm wondering, I'm wondering, what do we do in this culture, in this time, and in this place, where we've got these bad gurus out there and people who are enamored of them, who think that they've got it all figured out and they're following them. Do we have a way to share good news with these people? And so the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to uh, check out the last uh, set of bad gurus. 
And then we're going to think strategically about what we can do when we leave this place to begin getting people interested in Christ, getting them interested in grace, getting them interested in being a part of our community. So first, let's, um, let's just read this, this, uh, this verse from 1 John 1.10, the last of the bad gurus. John says, if we say we have never sinned, we make him a liar, and so his word is not in us. Um, there are some people who, who think that this uh, is not actually a new set of bad gurus, the we have never sinned folks. I've translated it that way, we have never sinned. If you look in your New King James and, and a lot of modern translations, they'll say, we have not sinned. And it could almost be like, um, colloquially, I, I haven't sinned, right? And the idea might not be that that's, they're not saying that they've never sinned, but that you accuse them and they're like, oh, I've, I haven't sinned. No, I'm, I'm good. If that's the case, then uh, this text is actually just redundant. It's just, um, it's just a, a re- repetition of, what we, of the, the, the people we talked about last week. If you remember last week, uh, we'll mention them again later, but the antinomian and the relativist and the do-gooder, these are people who say, we have no sin, right? And this might just be a repetition, but I suggest that it's not, and, and, and I'd like to um, take a look at, we make him a liar. That's a really crazy phrase, crazy. And I'd like you to see it in context. So I'm just going to get us back to last week. Uh, I think I have one here of, of all. Uh, yeah, we, we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, right? This is verse 8. These are people who say, ah, I'm, I'm sinless. I'm good. Everything's cool. And, and those people deceive themselves, right? And then look down here. We have never sinned. We make him a liar. This is a really radical escalation of accusation. We live in a crass culture. Uh, you, you walk around or you turn on TV and you're going to hear people, you know, being not very polite about God. God's name is not held with a lot of reverence in our culture. People don't worry too much about, you know, making fun of God, ignoring God. That's not the case when John's writing. In fact, when John's writing, making fun of God was a really good way to get yourself killed. It was a capital offense in the ancient world. Um, in fact, our Lord and Savior Jesus was literally tortured to death for blasphemy, for being incorrect in his way of speaking and talking about God. We confess that he was right, but the people who heard him were really, really offended. And it wasn't just Jews who did this. Uh, the Romans, they believed that Caesar was a god, and they, they executed people all the time for denigrating the name of Caesar. If you live in a culture like that, and you look up to the heavens and you say, you are a liar. You are courting disaster. You are in a place of radical, radical sin. And it, you should expect to die. Everybody deceives themselves. I do it all the time. When I'm walking around, I think that I don't need to lose weight. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. I'm deceiving myself. Right? We deceive ourselves all the time. Everybody does it. It's bad, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Calling God a liar? That's next level. That's really next level. And so I, I, I think, and then notice this also. Uh, the truth is not in us. That's what happens when we say, I have no sin. Well, we talked last week. We don't have a lot of conversation with the truth, right? People who say this are people who just don't, they, they live in communities and cultures where falsehood and, and non-truth reigns. His word is not in us. The message of God has not penetrated us. It is not living and active in us. That is a really dire situation. So I suggest that really the best way to understand this is what's a whole new class of people. In fact, maybe, maybe the most dangerous kind of people. 
people who say we have never sinned. But of course, everyone here should be thinking, but that's absurd. Think about the chutzpah. I think that's the proper pronunciation of that word. Uh, The chutzpah of somebody who comes along and says, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I'm awesome. That just, that little bit, I mean, shouldn't that just be sort of kind of crazy? Who actually, I mean, we, we say in our culture, we say, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. What kind of person could possibly walk around and look you in the eyes and say, I have never sinned. Does that person even exist? Well, I think that person does. Uh, in John's day, I think that person um, would have been what we might call a proto-Gnostic. And uh, we're going to talk about three kinds of people who say they've never sinned. The first one, a little bit abstract, a little bit weird, the proto-Gnostic. But the, the second two, I think, are people that we encounter every day in our lives. Uh, the proto-Gnostic. Um, I, I think I have a picture of the of proto-Gnostic that you might be familiar with. Yeah, he's cute, right? Also full of lies. Um, <laughs> this is Yoda. Uh, it turns out, I, I, I read an article that says that um, there are people in um, Nordic countries who in, the, in Nordic countries they ask you what your religion is on the census, and people are now filling out the force. They are followers of the force. I don't know if they're serious or not, but... You can find someone who will believe anything, so they probably are. So they literally take the teachings of Master Yoda as gospel. Um, They live their lives according to the words of a small green puppet. And, 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 and one of the interesting things, when you think about Yoda's teaching, is he's always saying this. He, he pinches Luke and he's like, this crude matter, this is, this isn't what's real. What's real is what's inside you. What's real is the force that flows through you. What's real, what's important, what's true is your soul. What's true is the invisible part of you. And everything else, this, this body, this world, it's all material. It's corrupt. It's, it's not good. But the goodness is inside you. If only you'll be quiet and experience it and hear it. We probably don't hear a lot of people like this today. Uh, there aren't too many force users, only in small Nordic countries. Um, but in John's day, this probably would have been pretty common, uh, this kind of thinking. And, and so the, the proto-gnostic uh, is, is a person who believes that um, the soul, the soul remains pure. This is the first thing your note sheets. The soul, the inside, invisible, immaterial part of you, that is always pure. What's corrupt is your body. What's corrupt is the material world. And so this person can look you in the eyes and say, I've never sinned. It's just this nasty body that's been doing naughty stuff. But if, and presumably this person, if they could get in touch with their soul and shed their body, shed the material, then they would be pure and whole. That's a little abstract, a little weird, don't want to talk too much Neoplatonism today. But, there is an intellectual error, I think. A a sort of theological, um, um, this is like a theological forefather of somebody that we experience regularly in our lives. And I'm going to call this person the victim. The victim. The victim is somebody who, um, in your life, you've probably met someone like this. It's a, it's a person who, who says, you know what? If it, if it hadn't been for my childhood, things would be different. Right? And, and it, if I hadn't been bullied in school, 
then uh, I wouldn't be the person that you see today. And inside, deep inside me, there, it's a diff- I'm different. I'm not what you see. I'm not this bad behavior. I'm not these, these neuroses that you see. What I really am is I'm, I was hurt a lot. And as a result, I, I can't be held accountable, really, for the things that I've done. Because it wasn't really me. It was me working out the things that others did to me. It was me trying to deal with the pain and the, the circumstances, the poverty, whatever it was. And so because of that, you, I don't, that's not the real me. In fact, if I can just work through those things, typically um, in therapy, um, in life, if I can work through those things, and suddenly you'll see that I am pure. That's uh, one way that the victim will articulate. Another way is the victim might see um, the society as a whole or, or the system in which they're a part as the problem. Well, I, I really would be a good person, but the man has, has kept me down. I really would be a good person except that uh, the system is, is it's, it's, I, can't, I can't beat it. It's too strong. And, and the influence and the corruption of the system has changed me and altered me, but not the real me. Deep down, I'm great. Um, That's the second thing in your note sheets. The victim believes that the real me remains pure. And that circumstances or society are responsible for all corruption. I do want to make a caveat here. Um, I do not want anyone to hear me blaming victims. Victimhood is real. There are people in this place I know that have been hurt deeply, that have been oppressed in unjust ways. There are people here who have to work out neuroses that they have in the past. I agree with that. I affirm that. I want this to be a place where you can do it. But that is not an excuse for believing that you're okay. The crazy thing about these the victimhood that we have and, and, and the oppression that we experience is that it changes us, it corrupts us, it alters us. And even, even if, even if, uh, you know, as a parent, you're always trying to give your kid, like, the best possible upbringing. Even if Aaron and I made Alice and Olivia's life just perfect. You know, they lived in, well, they do live in an amazing home, thank you very much. Um, and even if we gave them a great education, well, they are getting a really great education, so check. Um, even if they had parents who were just totally awesome, eh, not so much. But they've got grandparents, so we got that going for them. But even if they lived in a perfect environment, they still wouldn't be right. I love my kids, but I know that deep down, they're corrupt. And any time we take our circumstances and as, as an excuse to, to give us, to exculpate us from all blame so that it's not me, it's everybody else, as soon as we move into that place, we become the people who say, I have never sinned. It's not my fault. Which is a kind of modern day Gnosticism. There's a, a, a third, and, and probably the most pernicious, probably the most insidious, probably the scariest. And I think, um, I don't know that John encountered people like this. It, it might have been um, before his age, but I think that they are the spiritual heirs of the people that he talked to. And I call these people, or this person, the Ubermensch. Um, if you're not, it, no one's fluent in, ver- in, in German. We, we've had people who are flu- fluent in German here, but Ubermensch is the, is the German for Superman. Um, Overman. I was going to have a picture of Superman, but that would be no fun because everyone likes Superman. Uh, so instead, I have a picture of the man who invented the Ubermensch, Friedrich Nietzsche. 
Look at the mustache on that guy. <laughs> he was the original hipster. You've seen these people, these kids who walk around, they have uh, flannel shirts, and they, and they have like these monster mustache, for mustache uh, march, mustache may. I used to participate in this. I thought it was really funny. And then I tried to get a date, and I was like, not funny. <laughs> but this guy, I mean, wow. He's, he was not messing around with that thing. He also wasn't messing around with his atheism. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, he was a very wise man in the 1800s, and he kind of came to terms with the realization that there's no God, that God doesn't exist. Um, and as a result, he started thinking through that kind of really honestly for one of the first times in intellectual history. He started thinking about what does it mean that there's no God. And this is what he realized. If there's no God, there's no sin. If there's nobody up there watching, right, then this is all just a whole bunch of molecules and atoms bouncing into each other. There's no meaning to any of it. Uh, there's, it's just whatever we do and say. It's, 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 there is no truth. There's only what we make the truth. There's nothing else. There's no one up there being like, uh, no, check, no, no. There's none of that. It's just a whole bunch of human beings, finite human beings, crashing into each other. And isn't it crazy that since this is the case, Nietzsche thought, Nietzsche thought, what do we do about sin and guilt? Well, we just move past them. Uh, there's this really cool quote. Um, he said, listen, this is so interesting. Although the most acute judges of the witches, and even the witches themselves, were convinced of the guilt of witchery, the guilt nevertheless was non-existent. Thus it is with all guilt. Well, the, so the sinner, the witch, is like, she knows deep down, oh, really shouldn't have been communing with those occult forces. That was a bad idea. She's like, but I went with it. She has guilt. The judge, the, <laughs> Nietzsche's making fun of Puritans at this point, about whom he really knows nothing but whatever. And he's like, he's, uh, he's, the, the, the Puritan judge is convinced that she's a witch and that's evil. So they're both convinced that witchery is evil. The fact of the matter is, no, it's not. It's nothing at all. And so the guilt that she's experiencing is fake. It's an illusion. She needs to move past it. And thus it is with every experience of guilt in all of our lives, forever and ever, amen, the gospel according to Friedrich Nietzsche. All the guilt, all the pain, all the experience that you have in your life, it's an illusion. Let it go because there is no one to hold you account. There is nothing at all. And Nietzsche said, if you can believe that, you will be free. You will have overcome your humanity. You will be a superman. It probably doesn't need to be said that Nietzsche's philosophy um, actually undergirded the Nazi movement um, in the 1930s in Germany. It probably doesn't need to be said that experiencing and thinking through life this way will always end in blood and fire. But honestly, it needs to be said. Because most of the people that we encounter in our lives believe something like this, whether they know it or not. 
they really believe that if they could just learn to embrace the truth that there's nothing, then they would finally be free of all that holds them back. Third thing in your note sheets is, is that this, the ubermensch believes that sin and guilt are an illusion we must see past. There's something um, that all of these people have in common. Something that unites them. If you can honestly look another person in the eyes and say, I have never sinned. Then there's one thing you don't need. And that's a savior. You could need nothing less. What you really need is maybe some therapy. Maybe what you need is uh, to fight for justice and to change the system that corrupted you so it doesn't corrupt another. And so you rage against the machine and you fight and you overturn it because there's nothing wrong with you, right? And, and if you recognize that there's no God, then really what you need to do is, is just decide what you make the truth and go and force it, impose it on others. Nietzsche called this the will to power. To, to inform others that they will live according to your will because there is no God above. And if you live like that, you don't need Jesus. You don't need anything. You've got everything you need right here. How do we evangelize people like that? I've got good news for you. It's not just them. It's all of them. Anne Hutchinson, you might remember her from last week. She's an antinomian. She's someone who believes that, um, that her special relationship with God means that she's free to make evil good. Um, I don't have up there, uh, but the, uh, the relativist, that's the person who, who believes that really it's just um, uh, the, the, there's an alignment that I have to set between uh, my actions and my values, but my values can change. You know, values are, they move back and forth, and there's no yes or no to values. They, they just, it's whatever you feel. Uh, the do-gooder, I don't have the do-gooder up there. That's the person who knows God, knows God's values, knows they're in line with God's values and wants to push him on others. I do have the fox. He's from two, three weeks ago. He's the best looking of the bunch. Uh, he, the fox there, he, he's the one who's like, hey, I've got it figured out, but he lives in secret and in darkness. In every single one of these, John has told us these people either deceive themselves, they, are, they have no truth, they don't do the truth, and they even, for today, make God a liar. How do you give good news to these people who are so overthrown, overcome by lies, deceit, failure to think correctly, that they, they, they believe themselves good or they don't believe there's a good at all? How can you give good news to that? It's impossible. And I wonder, I wonder if some of you haven't experienced something similar to what I've experienced. You're like, I want to share good news with these people. But it's the last thing they need. And moreover, maybe not even the bad gurus, but what about, what about those who follow the bad gurus, who, who are kind of enamored with them, who kind of think that, that the bad gurus might have it figured out, that, that this really is the best kind of life. How do we speak to them? What do we have for these people that could possibly be good? There's good news and bad news, since we're talking about good news and bad news. The bad news is, is that really nothing that you can say that comes from you can change someone's heart. You're not responsible 
for making people's hearts change, for changing their minds. You can't do it. It's just you. The Word of God can do it, and we will speak in, in a moment about um, a place I think that's really powerful uh, for these types of people. But really, it's, 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 there's nothing you can do. You can try, you can, you can there, we'll have a strategy here, but, but don't take it on yourself to save the world. That's Jesus' job. And if you think you're going to do as well as he did, just leave, because, I mean, come on, serious. Don't. Stay. But this is the question. This is the beginning of evangelism to the bad gurus. It's a simple question. This is where you start. You say, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? You know, Nietzsche, um, cool story, died of syphilis. Um, after, uh, apparently, syphilis, uh, he contracted it probably from uh, a prostitute. Uh, syphilis apparently makes your mind go crazy, um, and you, you start to lose connection with reality. Then you get very, very sick, and you die. There's an apocryphal story. I don't believe it's true, but it might be true, that uh, Nietzsche died with his arms around the neck of, of a horse. that he saw. So he, he was walking down the street, like hobbled over from his disease, and there was a person um, riding a cart and, and whipping a horse to move more quickly. And so Nietzsche... Um, runs out into the street and wraps his arms around the, the horse's neck and then promptly his heart fails and he dies. As a young man, in fact. How's that working out for you? Uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago Anne Hutchinson, the original antinomian, was exiled from Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, I think down to Connecticut, could be Rhode Island, can't remember. Uh, she and her whole family lived in a log cabin there, and um, one year after her expulsion, she was surrounded by Native Americans, and their homestead was burned. She died in a fire as a young woman. How is that working out for you? The thing about people who have no sin, who have never sinned, is that it starts out great because you know you're at peace with yourself or whatever. You finally have an excuse to do all the stuff you've always wanted to do. You're finally free to be whomever you wish to be. And man, that feels good. And then things start to go horribly, horribly wrong. Because when you live a life that is out of keeping with the actual nature of reality, a life that is out of keep, keeping with the actual word and truth of God, when you start to live that way, things start to get nasty. They start to get wrecked. Uh, we, I forgot, um, Ayn Rand, uh, the relativist from last week, Ayn Rand uh, died alone, brokenhearted, after she cheated on her husband three or four times. Uh, he was cheating with somebody else. Uh, they all broke up, and they all ended up alone. How's that working out for you? So when you're thinking about evangelism to the bad gurus, don't think about being like, you're a sinner. Because they're going to be like, no, I'm not. Instead, think, man, it must be great living the way that you're living. How is that working out for you? Because here's the thing. They'll try to deceive themselves left and right. But if you're really close, if you do a little bit of that uh, you know, relational evangelism, you get close to somebody, and you start to spend time with them, and you start to be with them, they might start to open up to you. And I guarantee you this, what they're going to start opening up to you about is not how great everything is, but actually how problematic things are. How frustrating and brutal life has become. How bereft of joy and close friendship and intimacy and, 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 and hope life is. That's what's deep down inside of them. 
And so your job is not to say, you're a sinner. Your job is to say, man, it must be great having figured out all that you figured out. How's that working out for you? Now, I think, really, uh, we'll, okay, in a second, we'll talk about that. How about the people who are thinking about following one of the bad gurus? You have your coworker. Your coworker is a nice person. They've met someone who's, you know, speaking about kind of these, something that we've talked about, you know, the, the relativist or the antinomian, the, the victim, the, the whomever, and they're starting to think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I kind of like that. I, I, yeah, yeah, that does seem, that person does seem like they have it figured out. That person does seem like they've got something special, and maybe I really should spend some more time going down that path. Is it, you have a different question for them. Your question from them was originally uttered by Jack Nicholson in the late 90s when he said, is this as good as it gets? Did you see that movie, As Good As It Gets? Um, there's this great moment. He plays a, an author, and uh, he, he suffers from a terrible obsessive-compulsive disorder, and he's afraid of going outside, and he's tremendously successful, but he has no human interaction, no human contact, no love in his life. And so at one point, he stops in the middle of his day, and he says, is this as good as it gets? Because he's experienced something that it's not as good as it gets. It's, it's, it's empty. It's wrong. It's, it's failing. There has to be something more in this life. And your question, your question to the people who are thinking, oh, maybe this whole never having sin thing, maybe this, there's no sin, maybe that's the way to go. Your question to them is, is that as good as it gets? When you really look at their lives, are their lives the lives that you want? Or can you imagine something different, something deeper, something more real, more joyful, more robust? And maybe, maybe that's the life that we have in the church. Uh, John 10.10. I want to look at this um, for a second. This is Jesus. Jesus says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. When you're evangelizing someone who has no sin, your question to them is designed to get them wondering, do I have life and do I have it abundantly? In fact, honestly, that should be your question to yourself. Do I have life, and do I have it abundantly? The whole reason that we're in 1 John is that John promises to tell us what it looks like to have a life that is deep and full, that is abundant, that is real, that is joyful, it's robust. In fact, it is the very life you will live for all eternity when you are with God in heaven. You can have it now. And if you're not living it now, I mean, let's not wait. That seems ridiculous. I would much rather do it now than have to wait till I die. Let's do it now. Your job, your job, is simply to get people to wonder whether or not they have life and if they have it abundantly. And you can say to them, Jesus tells you, Jesus told us that there are thieves out there. There are bad gurus. And they will say that they've got this and that, but really they have come to steal and kill and destroy. And you, you have a choice you can decide to look instead for life and life abundantly. And I know where to start. It's at Coast Bible Church. It's in San Juan Capistrano. 
It's at the top of the hill. And this is a place where people have life. Where people really do experience and live the joyful, robust, deep life that God has meant us all to have. I believe that. And I encourage all of you, if you're not feeling it, to join a small group that you can sign up at today after the service. And, the, and, then, and then again, we're going to do, I'll, I'll, I'll push it again next week. Uh, but, 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 but seriously, life and life abundantly. Because everybody else is a bad guru and they are deceiving themselves and they are calling God a liar and they will be held to an account. Let's pray. Father, we confess um, that you're the one who gives life. You give it in your son. You give it abundantly. God, I pray that we will um, be able to spot the bad gurus from a mile away. And that more than that, God, we will have a word of hope to them and to those who wish to follow them. A question that will cause their hearts to hurt. That your spirit will magnify convict, change. God, I pray that we will exemplify your life here and that people will come and see. They will taste and see that it is good. We thank you, God. We know it comes only through the cross, only through your son. And in his name we pray, amen.